0: Uh, it's great to see you all. I don't know if it's going to snow tonight or do. I don't know what it's going to do. This is, uh, <laughs> this is the end of April. <laughs> kind of nutty. Uh, let's see. Congratulations. Where's Oh, thank you. Yes, my youngest son got married yesterday, and so. Yep, we've joined that club. Yeah, it was great. It was beautiful. Thank you. Honey, what do we have tonight? What do we need? We have a mountain of candy. candy. Thank you to all who brought candy. And the next time we are taking a break is Memorial Day, right? So we've got a run of four or five weeks here. Okay, good. By the way, uh, if, no judgment, I already said this to somebody tonight, no judgment, if you finished your 34 chapters of Deuteronomy today, good for you. If you didn't, that's okay. (laughs) Hebrews is next week, and that's only 13 chapters. So if you did your 34, 13 is going to seem like nothing. It's going to seem like child's play. But Hebrews is next week. Yes, I know it's not in the Old Testament. Thank you. (laughs) Hebrews, it sounds like it should be, but it isn't. (laughs) Toward the end of your Bible, read Hebrews for next week, and we'll talk about some fun parallels between the book of Numbers and Hebrews. Okay. Anything else you want me to say, do? Nope, we're good? Okay. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. I pray that he would take what is yours and make it a part of us. He is amazing. He carried all of these writers along uh, so that they would record your words for us so that we would know you, so that we would know ourselves, and we would know uh, how much you love us, how much you chase us, uh, how much you continue to think and do good in all of our lives. We love you, and we thank you for being such a great and wonderful Father to us in every single way. We thank you, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Here we are. Well, wait a minute. Here we aren't. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh. Maybe we'll go now. Okay, so we've seen this before. We've been talking about this all the way through. Remember, in Genesis and Exodus, God promised an inheritance. He promised it to Abraham. In the book of Leviticus, we had to figure out how we were going to live with and how we're going to worship this holy God who is living among us. Numbers, he says, here we go. We're going to go on a march, and we're going to go possess the inheritance that I gave you. That didn't work out so well as we've been looking at uh, their wilderness wanderings. Deuteronomy tonight, this is the second giving of the law. It's a reiteration of what uh, Moses gave, God gave through Moses in Exodus. And so they're standing right here across the Jordan River from Jericho when they're going to be called to a recommitment. The second generation is going to be called to a recommitment to the covenant. That's what Deuteronomy is about. And then in Joshua, which we won't do next week because we're doing the book of Hebrews, but then we're going to do Joshua, and we will see them possess their inheritance. So that's where we've been, and that's where we're going. So Deuteronomy. I call this book, one night, we're just doing Deuteronomy in one night, Recommitment. That's what the book is about. It's a book of recommitment. Recommitment. There used to be a time, I don't know how long ago, but decades, where if you had um, milestone anniversaries, uh, 20, 25, 50, you might have a renewal of your vows. Just, I would do, and what you're saying is, I would do this all over again with your spouse. It's just a wonderful way to recommit. Uh, These days, we don't see that too much. But what we've seen a little bit of here recently, uh, people who got married during COVID, and they couldn't invite any family. And so now they're having uh, services because they can invite all of their family. And they're actually, it's (laughs) it's a recommitment of their vows with all of their family present where before they couldn't do that. So same kind of idea. It's just you're recommitting to something for some some different reasons. These folks are recommitting to something because their parents um, didn't follow through on their commitment. And so for over 40 years, the first generation, except for Joshua and Caleb, died in the desert. Not possessing what God had set aside for them. So, Deuteronomy is the book of recommitment. Who wrote it? Moses. He wrote it around 1406 B.C. How do I know that? It'll be on the final, guaranteed. 1 Kings 6.1. Remember 1 Kings 6.1? Really? Have we been so long together? 1 Kings 6.1. I don't hear any Bibles turning. Some people would be turning right now to 1 Kings 6.1 to be reminded of what it said. Others would be waiting on other people to look it up. How many? Mm-hmm. You should look it up. 480. Now, that was the fourth year of Solomon's reign, which was 966. What's 966 and 480? You can use your calculators. I know all of your phones have calculators. You can add it up. Or maybe another 100. (laughs) 966 and 480... 14, 1446, very good, thank you. The right answer is 1446, that was the year of the exodus. So when you see on the History Channel or on the Science Channel, we don't know when the exodus occurred, you do, you know when it occurred, 966 B.C., fourth year of Solomon's reign, add 480 years, 1446, how long do they wander in the desert, 40 years, Why is Moses writing it in 1406? Because it's at the end of the 40-year journey. So when you say, how does Bill know it's 1406? What commentator says that? Well, a lot of good evangelical ones because they understand 1 Kings 6.1. 966 plus 480 equals 1446, 40 years in the desert, 1406. Got it. There we go. Where did Moses write this? On the plains of Moab. Again, Bill, how do you know all this? You're a genius. Well, that is true. It's not really true. Listen, listen to this. Chapter 31, I know this was toward the end of the reading. Chapter 31 of Deuteronomy, um, let's see, he's getting ready to commission Joshua And verse 24 of chapter 31 says, When Moses had finished writing this entire body of instruction in a book, he gave this command to the Levites who carried the Ark of the Lord's Covenant. He says, put this in the Ark of the Covenant. Moses wrote these five books all into a book. Why? Because he's telling the second generation, here's how you got here. Right? Why aren't we in the promised land? I'm telling you, they'd been hearing for 40 years why they weren't in the promised land. But they're standing right there across from Jericho, and Moses says, we've got to recommit here because your parents did not follow through on their commitment. So he compiles all of this stuff from Genesis. Oh, where were we? Hmm. All the way from Genesis, he writes almost to the end of Deuteronomy, He doesn't write the very end, don't know who did, probably Joshua. So he writes all this down, and he gives it to him, and he says, put this in the ark, because when you go across, you're going to need to refer to this. So that's what Moses is doing, just kind of in the background. So he's writing on the plains of Moab. Why did he write it? Moses' goal was to get the people, meaning the second generation, To renew the covenant made at Sinai. That is, to make a fresh or unreserved commitment to the Lord. So what is Moses' final desire for God's people? It's to turn wanderers into overcomers. Their parents were wanderers and died in the desert. He wants the second generation to become overcomers and go across the Jordan and take what was promised to them to realize their inheritance. So Moses wants these wanderers to become overcomers. And so this is the book of recommitment, perhaps more accurately the book of uh, covenant recommitment. Now, back in Exodus, we talked about the suzerain-vassal treaty. The suzerain is the king. The vassal is the servant. And so Yahweh is the, va- is the um, uh, suzerain, and Israel is the servant. And so God entered into a covenant with them. We talked about this when we were in Exodus. And here are the parts of the suzerain-vassal treaty. You can see these different parts. And these are the passages that go, that fill this form. This is a a well-known form of a treaty in those days. And so here's the parts, the chapters that fall into those different parts. Okay. Deuteronomy, we find the same pieces falling into the same form. So the... Suzerain vassal treaty is um, renewed, or God's calling for a recommitment to it, and here's the chapters that fall into these different piece parts of the form. And you say, huh, well, form, well, it would be like this. If I said, if I stood up here, um, and let's say there were two uh, people standing in front of me of uh, a man and a woman, and I said, Beloved, uh, tonight we're gathered here in the sight of God and these witnesses. You would know exactly, before I take one more word, say one more word, you would know exactly what's going on. Because there's a form for a Christian wedding. And it kind of always starts with the same words. Right? You, as soon as I started saying those words, you're like, Oh, wow, that's, those are wedding words. Because you're familiar with the form. So, fast forward 3,500 years, when they saw these various things in Deuteronomy, when they're reading them, they would have said, oh, that's a suzerain vassal treaty. This would have been very obvious to them. Okay, so here's the parts of Deuteronomy that fall into the suzerain vassal treaty. So, Moses is calling for a recommitment to the covenant at Sinai. He's going to do that through four sermons. Deuteronomy is broken up into four sermons. So let's look at these four sermons. First sermon falls into the historical prologue section of the Suzerain Vassal Treaty. He rehearses how God took them from Sinai to Kadesh, how they entered the Transjordan, that's chapter 2 and half of 3, And then they prepared to enter the land, and that takes about a chapter halfway through um, three and into four. So Moses' first sermon is about the historical prologue of this covenant. It's a little different than the one he gave in Exodus because they've made some progress here geographically. So there's a little bit different historical prologue. What's the upshot of his first sermon? God has loved and cared for you. He is your creator from Genesis, your redeemer from Exodus, your protector from Exodus and Numbers, your provider and warrior from Numbers. He's been merciful, gracious, and forgiving to you for. 40 plus years. He's been committed to your good and growth. And in spite of your failures, he's remained faithful and gracious to you. Therefore, follow him. Moses' first sermon ends with a resounding Follow God, because he has been these things to you and has done these things for you. That's his first sermon. His second sermon rehearses the covenant obligations. And so the first thing he does is they set out this, uh, where they're um, taking the, where they're doing this recommitment. He reiterates the Ten Commandments. that's chapter five. He takes five chapters to explain the great commandment, you can you imagine that? It's five chapters. But this is part of Moses' second sermon is explaining the great commandment. He explains the then the specific laws and stipulations. And then he gives a summary charge to the people. So probably the first three, so one, two, and three, if you're looking in your uh, Susan Vassal Treaty, one, two, and three would fall into the general stipulations section. Number four is going to most correlate with the specific stipulations section. And then 26, 19, and uh, 16 to 19, so item five, um, may and probably does refer to the vassals oath of allegiance portion. So there's this Correspondence between Moses Sermon and the the Suzerain Vassal Treaty. Kind of interesting. Hopefully you saw a few things um, in these chapters. But here's a here's a really fun one. Just in case you didn't get a chance to read this. Chapter 17. Chapter 17. Deuteronomy 17. Thank you. I hear some pages turning. Deuteronomy 17, beginning in verse 14. You are about to enter the land the Lord your God is giving you. When you take it over and settle there, you may think we should select a king to rule over us like other nations around us. If this happens, be sure to select as king the man the Lord, your God, chooses. You must appoint a fellow Israelite. He may not be a foreigner. The king... Now, why would they want a king? What is God anticipating? Who's... Well, right now, who is their king? Yahweh. Guess what? He's already anticipating... (laughs) You're going to get into the land and you're going to look around and say, We want to be like everyone else and have a king. I think I'm your king. We don't want you. We want someone here to be our king, like all the other nations have. <laughs> this is what God is telling them hundreds of years before this happens. He says this, verse 16. The king must not build up a large stable of horses for himself. Uh oh. Or send his people to Egypt to buy horses. For the Lord has told you, you must never return to Egypt. The king must not take many wives for himself, because they will turn his heart away from the Lord. And he must not accumulate large amounts of wealth in silver and gold for himself. In pencil, write in Solomon. Solomon should have done the next paragraph. When he sits on the throne as king, he must copy for himself this body of instruction on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priests. He must always keep that copy with him and read it Daily, as long as he lives, that way he will learn. Does God think that we forget stuff pretty fast? Yes, (laughs) he knows us pretty well. (laughs) Read it daily as long as he lives, that way he will learn to fear the Lord his God by obeying all the terms of these instructions and decrees. This regular reading will prevent him from becoming proud and acting as if he is above his fellow citizens. It will also prevent him from turning away from these commands in the smallest way. And it will ensure that he and his descendants will reign for many generations in Israel. Fourth year of Solomon's reign, 966 B.C. What year are we in right now? 1406. 440 years from now, Solomon is going to commit all of these errors. If only he would have, and if, maybe he did. I don't, I don't know how he could have and still gone down that road, but it would be possible. More likely, he just didn't do it. And he winds up down this path. I'm glad I don't do that. Aren't you? That's Solomon. Gosh, if he would just read his Bible and do what it says. Oh, sorry. I'm meddling. So Moses, at the end of the second sermon, gives them a summary charge. What's his point? God has given you his word. His whole second sermon, you can summarize into God has given you his word, which reveal... His expectations for your life toward him, toward your neighbor, and toward the world. His word reveals his priorities for your choices. And his word reveals his blessings for your obedience. So that's the end of the second sermon. God has given you his word. Now we get to the crux of Deuteronomy. You're like, whew, praise God, because there's just a lot of chapters here. There's a lot of words, Moses. Here they come. Here comes the big fig Newton. (laughs) Moses' third sermon. In chapter 27, he's going to talk about the covenant curses. In chapter 28, he's going to talk about the blessings of and Consequences for Disobedience. And then 29 and 30, look what it says. He's going to talk about how to renew this covenant again. What is God anticipating? You're going to need to renew this covenant again. Let me tell you how you're going to do that. Amazing. Our God knows what His people are going to do. And he knows how unfaithful they were and how unfaithful we are. All right, let's have some fun. Chapter 28, Deuteronomy 28, that's in the Old Testament. You can go ahead and turn there if you want to, if you're not already there. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully keep all his commands that I am giving you. Remember, when was this written? Like 1406, right? Good. Just keep that in mind. Uh, Carefully keep all his commands that I'm giving you today. The Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the world. You will experience all these blessings if you obey the Lord your God. Your towns and your fields will be blessed. Your children and your crops will be blessed. The offspring of your herds and flocks will be blessed. Your fruit baskets and breadboards will be blessed. Wherever you go and whatever you do, you will be blessed. The Lord will conquer your enemies when they attack you. They will attack you from one direction, but they will scatter from you in seven. The Lord will guarantee a blessing on everything you do and fill your storehouses with grain. Goes on. This is blessing after blessing after blessing that the Lord is going to do. Gets down to 15, verse 15. But if you refuse to listen to the Lord your God and do not obey all the commands and decrees I'm giving you today, all these curses will come and overwhelm you. Your towns and your fields will be cursed. Your fruit baskets and breadboards will be cursed. Your children and your crops will be cursed. The offspring of your herds and flocks will be cursed. Wherever you go and whatever you do, you will be cursed, meaning the Lord's favor is not going to be on you. The Lord himself will send on you curses, confusion, and frustration in everything you do until at last you are completely destroyed for doing evil and abandoning me. The Lord will afflict you with diseases until none of you are left in the land you are about to enter and occupy. The Lord will strike you with wasting diseases, fever, and yuck. Yuck. He's going to send them blight and mildew. Remember we talked about mildew and you got to scrape the mildew off your house and if it doesn't work you, I tear the house down and He's going to send mildew on them. These disasters will pursue you until you die. The skies above will be as unyielding as bronze and the earth beneath as hard as iron, meaning it's not going to rain. The Lord will change the rain that falls on your land into powder, and dust will pour down from the sky until you are destroyed. He goes on, (laughs) on and on and on. Verse 36 What does he say? The Lord will exile you and your king to a nation unknown to you and your ancestors. There in exile, you will worship gods of wood and stone. You will become an object of horror, ridicule, and mockery among all the nations to which the Lord sends you. In 722, the Assyrians come in and run them out, run out the northern kingdom. 722. So roughly 700 years from now. 150 years later in 586 the Babylonians come in and take the rest of them. And they haul them off to Babylon. All the things that are going to happen throughout the rest of the Old Testament this is the key to the Old Testament are right in here in chapter 28 29 and 30. This is the the, uh, what do you call it, um, the, 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 the playlist, this is the timeline, this is, these are the things that are going to happen to them, the Lord has set this out in 1406, and it's going to happen. And that's why it's so fun when later on, my younger son is named Josiah, after little King Josiah whose men stumble across the book of Deuteronomy. And he reads it as a child. And he says, this is bad. (laughs) He reads it and goes, we are not doing these things. No wonder God is not happy with us. Come on, get it back into gear. And Josiah turns the kingdom from headed over the cliff he, he stalls it. God isn't going to stop it, but he stalls it for, um, for some time. Anyway, so good King Josiah later on comes and finds Deuteronomy and reads it, and that's what begins a, uh, a revival in Israel. 28, 29, and 30 of Deuteronomy. This, this is it. You look for the, what's the key to the Old Testament. It's right here. Everything from this point through the book of... What's the last book in the Old Testament? Malachi, the Italian prophet. <laughs> Everything through the book of Malachi is right here. This is what God is going to do. And you say, well, wait a minute. What about the, the good parts? Yes! Okay, here we go. Chapter 30. In the future... When you experience all these blessings, I'm not making this up. I'm just reading it. So if you're reading along with me, you can see I'm not making this up. When you experience all these blessings and cursings I have listed for you, and when you are living among the nations to which the Lord your God has exiled you, take to heart all these instructions. If at that time you and your children return to the Lord your God, And if you obey with all your heart and all your soul and all the commands I have given you today, gosh, it seems like somebody later on, kind of like a New Testament guy, might have said some words like that. Give you any context for what Jesus is talking about? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Do you think if you were a good Jewish person, you might have gone, now, wait a minute. (laughs) That shows up in a context of repentance, Jesus. Jesus. What are you saying? He's, he's telling them right here. Hey, like it was back then. Here we go, guys. It's amazing. It's like Jesus knew the Bible. I don't know. It's Just call me crazy. Uh, if at that, okay, if at that time, if you obey uh, all the commands I've given you, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes, meaning he will, he will make his favor shine on you. He'll, he'll smile on you again. He will have mercy on you and gather you back from all the nations where he has scattered, uh, scattered you. Even though you are banished to the ends of the earth, the Lord your God will gather you from there and bring you back again. The Lord your God will return you to the land "...that belong to your ancestors, and you will possess that land again. Then he will make you even more prosperous and numerous than your ancestors. The Lord your God will change your heart and the hearts of all your descendants, so that you will love him with all of your heart and soul, and so you may live." And he goes on. And then he says, at the end of this chapter... Uh, Verse 19, today I've given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and cursings. And then he calls on heaven as witnesses. Chapter 28 and 30 particularly tell you what is coming in the whole rest of the Old Testament. So if you read your 34 chapters, by the time you got to 28, I know the fan was blown hard, but reread 28... Twenty-nine and thirty, and be amazed because God says, "This is what I'm going to do, and this is what's going to happen," and that's in fact what does happen. Oh, such good stuff! So this is this is Moses' third sermon. Oh, this is so good. Uh, when we get to uh, Daniel, you wonder. Gabriel comes, and. After Daniel has, uh, a, has made a prayer of confession, right? Because actually, uh, Daniel had been doing his quiet time in Jeremiah 25 that day. Yeah, Jeremiah was written. Daniel's reading it, and he goes, uh-oh. And so Daniel begins to confess on behalf of the nation. And Gabriel shows up and says, from the moment you started praying, an answer was given. Because Daniel is praying according to chapter 30. He's confessing all the sins they did in chapter 28. He begins turning to the Lord and saying, you're a merciful God. And chapter, the stuff from chapter 30, Gabriel comes and says, answer was given. God hears your prayer, and here's what he's going to do. The, these folks in the Old Testament knew their best. Old Testament. They knew their Bible, and they took God at his word. And when they did, good things happened. So Moses' third sermon, what's his point? God has given you his promises. The obedient will be blessed abundantly. The disobedient will be disciplined. That's it. That's his third sermon. So the first, sermon, the first three sermons, first, God has loved and cared for you. He's been committed to your good and growth. In spite of your failures, He's remained faithful and gracious to you. Follow Him. He's given you His Word, His expectations, His priorities, His blessings. And He's given you His promises of life and blessing for your obedience. Three sermons, three messages that build on one another So if this is how God has treated you, what is God expecting? God's going to ask his people for a renewed and unreserved commitment to possess what he's promised them. You're the second generation. The first generation lost what I promised them. They lost their inheritance because they chose to be wanderers. They chose to be disobedient. But I don't want that for you, second generation. I want you to obey. I want you to go possess what God gave you to possess. So he calls them to a renewed and unreserved commitment to possess all that he's promised them. Somebody said this, and I think it's, it's a great statement. I don't remember who said it, but extraordinary grace demands extraordinary commitment. Extraordinary grace demands extraordinary commitment. That's a great thought, and that's God. His extraordinary grace has shown up through these first five books of the Old Testament. And because of His extraordinary grace, He calls on His people for an extraordinary commitment. Moses has one more sermon and it's about the covenant commitment. The first thing he says in chapter 31 is do not fear. Funny. Anybody else say that? How many times did Jesus say this? (laughs) Do not fear. Why? Because I'm afraid. (laughs) But I need to look at him and look to him and trust him more than what I see around me or what I feel inside or what my past, my past has been about. I got to trust him more. Do not fear. What does God tell Joshua when we get to Joshua? What's the whole first chapter about? Don't fear. Don't fear, Joshua. I'm with you. Can you imagine walking in Moses' (laughs) sandals? Uh, Tall challenge. God says, don't be afraid. I'm with you. Here we go. Do not fear. He spends the rest of that chapter talking about uh, exhorting them to obedience. And then Moses blesses the people. And there's a very brief little epilogue. To the book, after Moses sings his song, there's a little. I don't know if that's in any Spotify list, Moses' song there. Might be. Okay, that was a joke. Okay. Moses blesses the people, then there's the leadership transition, it moves to Joshua uh, chapter 34. Then Moses went up to Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab and climbed Pisgah Peak, which is across from Jericho. And the Lord showed him the whole land, from Gilead as far as Dan, all the land of Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah extending to the Mediterranean Sea, the Negev, the Jordan Valley with Jericho, the city of palms, as far as Zoar. Then the Lord said to Moses, This is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when I said, I will give it to your descendants. I have now allowed you to see it with your own eyes, but you will not enter the land. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, just as the Lord had said. The Lord buried him in a valley near Bait. Peor in Moab, but to this day, no one knows the exact place. Moses was, a, why would that, why would the author, let's say it was Joshua, why would he put that in there? Oh, you know. What would the people have done? Either dug him up or built a shrine. Well, they're not supposed to do, they're not supposed to build shrines to people. So why does God bury him? To protect the people. Because he knows what they'll do. He's like, you know what? I know what you're going to do, so I'm going to bury him. And I'm not going to tell you where I buried him. Because I know you. Just another part of his grace. Moses was 120 years old when he died. Yet his eyesight was clear. And he was as strong as ever. The people of Israel mourned for Moses on the plains of Moab for thirty days until the customary period of mourning was over. Now Joshua, son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him, doing just as the Lord had commanded Moses. There has never been another prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. The Lord sent him to perform all the miraculous signs and wonders in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh and all his servants and his entire land. With mighty power, Moses performed terrifying acts in the sight of all Israel. Thus ends the Pentateuch and the life of Moses. But we know his life did not end. Because on the Mount of Transfiguration, somebody shows up. (laughs) Peter seems to think, and I don't know why he's wrong, he seems to think Moses was there. Mm. So Moses lives even though he died. Mm. Crazy. (laughs) That's our hope. The leadership is transferred to Joshua. Moses dies at the age of 120 Recommitment, that's what the book of Deuteronomy is about. Let's make some applications. What has God already given us in this room? He's loved and cared for us ever since He called us out of, in quotes, Egypt. Remember when I drew that little picture out of Egypt? Egypt is our former home under the pharaoh of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, Hasatan, the Satan, whose slave we used to be until the Lord came and brought us out. The Lord has already given us His completed Word to guide and sustain us. He's already given us His full pardon and acceptance in His beloved Son. Do you you understand that? (laughs) Because if you do, explain it to me. I do not understand this. Yes, I understand it. Charles Spurgeon writes that if we could pull back the curtain that separates us from hell… He says, we would faint to see what it looks like, and he talks about a a small bird pecking away at a granite block of immeasurable size, and after a million years, no progress has been made by the bird to chip that stone away, and when that stone is finally chipped away, Eternity will be over. That is not us. He has paid that we do not have that. What we have is blessing upon blessing and living in His presence and experiencing joy unspeakable. Not because of what we've done. Not because of who we are but because of who Jesus is and because of what Jesus has done. He has already given us His full pardon and acceptance in His beloved Son. Do you understand there's not one thing more you can do to make Him happy with you? Because the person who made Him happiest has already made Him as happy as He can be. You can't add anything else to that. And yet, we live our lives under such a performance mindset. We think, God is happy with me now. And today, he's mad because I did this. He has already purchased your full pardon and acceptance in his beloved son. Unbelievable. His indwelling spirit, He's already given Him to us now, and we have a future with Him. He is in some way a deposit, a down payment on what we are to receive. Again, if you understand this, please write a book, sign it for me, so that I can read it and understand it. His indwelling, the people in the Old Testament Longed to have the Spirit of God live within them. That's not what happened. It took the finished work of Christ for the Holy Spirit to indwell you and me. We have a privilege like no one else has ever had on the face of the earth since the birth of the church 2,000 years ago. We have the fruit of His Spirit. If you haven't memorized Galatians 5, and 23 yet, go ahead and mark that on your list. Put it on there. You need to memorize the fruit of His Spirit. And remembering that every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms is at our prayer fingertips in Christ Jesus. Not most spiritual blessings. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms is ours it's at our fingertips write a check on the account it will go through you and i didn't put the stuff into the account the lord jesus did and he says i've given you a checkbook write a check on it it's good So what is God asking from you and from me today? A renewed and unreserved commitment to possess what He's promised. Who are you most like today? Those who are numbered with the redeemed but couldn't be counted upon? those who became easily discontent with life, those who took God's provisions for granted, those who didn't want to do battle or make progress, those who spent their lives just wandering. Or are you one of those who longed? their inheritance. Those who long for their inheritance are easy to spot. They heard God. You will possess my inheritance if you take me at my word through faith and press in. They loved God. You will enjoy me as well as my inheritance if your heart is right with me those who heard God and loved God, delighted to obey God. I will bless those who follow and obey me." Do you need to renew your vows with God? Is He still the love of and key to your life? Do you need to recommit yourself to time in His Word, in prayer, in fellowship with other believers? Do you need to recommit to holiness? What's holding you back from making a renewed and unreserved commitment to follow Him starting tomorrow? What's holding you, what's holding me back? a good item for prayer. For next week, we are going to cover the book of Hebrews all in one night. So if you can, read those 13 chapters, and we will talk about the book of Hebrews and how it also applies. Um, Now that we understand the book of Numbers, you'll see how Hebrews fits together with the book of Numbers. And that will be fun if you've never seen that before. Let me pray for us, please. Father, again, thank You for Your Word, and thank You for Your Holy Spirit. Thank You for the Lord Jesus, uh, without whom we would be lost. Thank You. Would You continue to draw us toward Yourself? I love the George Beverly Shea song. I'd rather have Jesus than anything. Lord, would you make that increasingly true in all of our lives? That we would rather have Jesus and be found in him than anything else this world could offer us. That's a supernatural work. And I pray that you do it for all of my brothers and sisters and for me, please. And we ask you for it tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. See you in a week.